those of you who uh, have maybe not been keeping count or been wondering, uh, Pastor Wayne will actually be back next week, by God's grace. Yeah. <clears throat> not that we've missed him or anything, Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> actually, it, it's, it's, it's great because, I mean, even with, if, if somebody came here six weeks ago and, and had never seen, uh, didn't know that Wayne Berry was our, youth pa- was our worship pastor, <laughs> certainly not our youth pastor, but uh, they would never know, <laughs> you know, they, they'd never know. They'd go, wow, you guys got, got a great worship pastor. Got, well, we got several, actually. Um, next week kind of sneaks up on you since it's the first of the month, but the first Sunday of the month is baptisms. And so uh, next week we'll be having water baptisms. We've got some lined up, and if you need to be baptized, uh, see someone on the staff or see one of the elders, and we will set that up. This week we're going once again back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be talking about the gifts of power. Would you stand with me and read this passage that we're going to continue to read until everyone has it memorized? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one, just as he determines. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are here corporately, and you see us as a group, but you see us as individuals. To each one, Lord God, may the Holy Spirit move on their hearts today. Speak, bring a word of life to us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was a kid, a little kid, I used to get up early on Saturday morning. And is anybody old enough to know why I got up early on Saturday morning? Whoa. Because, I mean, these days, you can watch them pretty much anytime you want to. But, yeah, okay, I got up early to watch cartoons. And uh, one of my favorites was Popeye the Sailor Man. In fact, I remember when I was, I think, five. I was either five or six. Uh, there used to be a show on, uh, in the afternoons, on weekday afternoons in Nashville called Cartoon Carnival. And 
uh, Bob Lobertini, the local weatherman, was also the host of Cartoon Carnival. And I went when I was either a five or six for my birthday. And because it was my birthday, I was the one who got to go up and honk Bobo's nose that day. <laughs> and let me tell you a secret about Bobo. I didn't actually touch his nose. I just got close to it, and it, and it honked. <laughs> and it scared the wahoo out of me. I was, I was like, Whoa! I didn't even touch him. So I don't know if there was really... Well, you know what I'm saying. You know, I, I don't know if, 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 if his nose really honked or if that was a sound effect. Okay. Uh, when Isaac was a kid, I would come home as early as I could get home in the afternoon. I tried to get home in time in the afternoon for him to see He-Man. This is... Okay, we got another generation here. Uh, He-Man, uh, Prince Adam would convert to He-Man and ride on Cringer, who became Battle Cat. And, uh, and Isaac and his dad would watch He-Man. Now, He-Man and Popeye have something in common. And what they had in common was they would get to a place where something would get in a bad situation. And the highlight of the moment, uh, the highlight of, of the Popeye cartoons is when the the discovery of the can of spinach. Right? It would pop out from somewhere and it would jump in his mouth. And you would hear the music. And you knew that everything was going to be okay. And He-Man, Prince Adam would get his sword and he would hold it up and he would say, I have the power. And everything was going to be okay. Popeye and He-Man are fictional characters. Just like Gandalf the Grey or Katniss Everdeen. Fictional characters. But there's a thing about them that resonates with us. Because there's something that they can do. There is a there is a power available to them when they get in a tough spot that, that all of us tend to kind of go, wow. Wow, to be able to have that. To be able to call on that. And the truth of the matter is, it's not necessarily at our beck and call, but there is power available to the believer, to the Christian. When they get in situations... It's not, you're not, it's not just a matter of how much strength do I have? What are my wits telling me to do in this situation? There are things that our God is able to do and that he makes available to each one, to every believer. We're going to look at three of those things today, the gifts of power. First one, miracles. Miracles are any event that cannot be explained by natural causes. <laughs> Uh, no one even pretends to come close to doing the things that our God has done. I mean, uh, other religions, they, they have miracles. They talk about miracles. But no, none of them even pretend to come close to what our God has done. Now, the, 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 um, the parting of the Red Sea is the outstanding pre-resurrection miracle of history. And the key word there is history. 
because it's not some disembodied miracle, big miracle that was supposed to have happened somewhere. No, I mean, there's proof. There's a 3,000-plus-year-old there's a nation in the Middle East that used to be a family in bondage in Egypt. Has any other God in the history of mankind been able to call forth and rescue and form his people like this? Has there ever been any other recorded situation of a, of, of a group of slaves, a clan, if you will, of slaves in a nation that were set free without a shot being fired, without an army invading, without a political referendum being held and people voting? I mean, just by his power coming in and rescuing them, they didn't even know they were a nation. And he turned them into one. And it's not that the Jews are better than everybody else or that they can't do anything wrong. I mean, they're people. We're people. You know. But God specifically chose them and called them to show forth His glory and to make His name known. And boy, has He done it. And so there's no doubt in my mind that when the children of Israel were camped by the Red Sea and Pharaoh had had enough time to... to to think, well, now wait a minute, how, what, how did all this happen? You know, they're, they're gone, let's go get them. There's no doubt in my mind that he got his army together, he came riding out against them, they had no means of defending themselves, and the Lord God caused a pillar of fire to separate the Israelites from the Egyptians. And while that pillar of fire was separating them, he caused a great wind to come and divide the sea that was before them, they went through on dry ground. Then God lifted the pillar of fire so that Pharaoh would go, hey, let's go through and get them. And he destroyed Pharaoh's army. He did big thing, important thing, historical thing actually happened. There's one significant miracle in the Old Testament that is recounted fully three times. Does anybody know what it is? I mean, if you do, you're Bible genius. Okay. All right. Huh? Parting of the sea? Well, it, it's talked about a lot, but I mean, this, this one is recorded all the, all the way three different times. It's recorded in 2 Kings. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles. It's recorded in Isaiah because it happened in the time of Isaiah and Hezekiah. Uh, King Sennacherib of, of Assyria came in to the land of Judah and essentially overcame the whole, the whole land. In fact, Assyria was the was the big bad bully in, in, of, the, of the Middle East in those days and had an empire that stretched over the entire Middle East. They surrounded the city of Jerusalem and Sennacherib sent his, uh, his field commander to demand that Hezekiah surrender. And he didn't actually talk to Hezekiah. He talked to Hezekiah's um, officials that he had sent out. They didn't, they didn't have a behind-closed-doors parley. Hezekiah's officials were up on the wall um, Sennacherib's field commander is where field commanders should be in the field and they were talking back and forth to each other and, and uh, Sennacherib's field commander said hey if we gave you the horses to ride if we gave you the weapons to use you couldn't even put people on the horses and carry the weapons there's no way you can stand against us you just need to surrender and Hezekiah sent emissaries to Isaiah to find out what God thought about this. Imagine that. 
Wonder what God thinks. And Isaiah sends back word and says, this is what you tell the king of Assyria. You tell him, the virgin daughter of Judah laughs at you. <laughs> Tosses her head at you. <laughs> he will not enter this place. He will not fire an arrow here. Do not be afraid of him. And on that night, the Lord sent an angel and killed 185,000 Assyrians. Don't know if he went through the camp, you know, with a sword or, you know, maybe it was a plague, who knows, but they woke up the next day and there they were, 185,000 dead. The Assyrians withdrew. <laughs> now, in spite of, I mean, propaganda is not a, not, a, not a new thing. In spite of a little Assyrian propaganda, even the Assyrians didn't claim to have taken Jerusalem. They took everything else. I mean, from, from the Euphrates all the way down to Egypt, they took everything else. But, but even, even their ancient records, all they could do is they boasted, we, we caused Hezekiah to be trapped in his city like a bird in a cage. Well, that, okay, that's a spin. But they didn't take it. Because our God is a miracle-working God. He does big things. In, in the New Testament, he did some big things. Um, Jesus calming the, calming the storm. You know, that, that may not sound like a, a big thing, and I know you can't see that picture very well, but I think that picture really kind of puts in mind why I don't get on boats. <laughs> to, to, you know, to be in a, in a, in a, in a little boat there and, and at the mercy totally of the sea and, and then to have Jesus stand up and say, peace, be still, and, and it calms down. That's big. I mean, that's big. That's a, that, that's a huge miracle to get done. And of course, the greatest miracle that, that's ever been done would be the, the miracle of the resurrection. And, there are, and historically, that is verifiable. We'll be talking about that a whole lot more here in a couple of weeks. Not all, not all miracles have to be big. Not all miracles are on a grand scale. Over in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah, before he called fire down out of heaven, before... He did any of the other great miracles that he had done. Uh, there was a famine in the land. The Lord told him uh, to go to a certain brook and he'd have water there. And every day the ravens came and fed him. They kind of go, okay. No, no that's, that's, a, you know, that's a small miracle, but that's a great miracle. How many of you have ever had a bird bring you any food? I was playing golf with David Culver. Some of you remember Big Dave uh, a number of years ago. And a crow came along and flew into his cart and grabbed his bag of Doritos and went flying into the woods. <laughs> and Dave goes running into the woods with his... I don't know how you're going to try and kill a crow with your golf club, but you know, he went running into the woods after that, after that thieving crow. So I have seen birds steal people's food but to have them bring the food to him small miracle but it's a miracle a miracle over in uh, second kings chapter six elisha was out with the uh, uh, his students if you will they were called the sons of the prophets and uh, they were building a new place to worship 
a new place to meet anyway and one of them was swinging an axe and the axe head flew off and fell in the river and he goes oh my father that was borrowed and elisha took a stick and and touched it in the water and the axe head floated now you kind of go oh come on yeah you know this is this is the guy this is the god who can part the red sea okay he can kill 185,000 Assyrians in one night. He can make iron swim, okay? But that's, that's, a, that's a small miracle. He, he, he does little things. Jesus turning water into wine. I mean, that's famous, but I mean, really, unless it's your wedding, unless it's your party, and you're the one who's run out of stuff, it's not that big. It's a small, small miracle. It's uh, another instance where uh, Jesus told Peter to go and catch a fish and look in its mouth and find the coin to pay his taxes with. <laughs> April the 15th, it's coming up. Small miracle. In order to see a miracle, two things are required. You definitely know what one of them would be because I've mentioned it several times. You must be in need of a miracle. God doesn't do these things to amuse us. You know, when, when people came to Jesus and said, we would see a miracle, Jesus went, oh, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miracle. No miracle will be given to them. No sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And you probably won't recognize that when you see it either. But just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the, in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But you must be in need of a miracle. And most of us really won't allow ourselves to even get there. Most of us don't really have the, the whatever it takes to step out of our comfort zone and be in a place where we can't necessarily take care of things. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're supposed to do that. You're only supposed to do that if that's the way that God leads you or that's where God leads you. But when he does lead you somewhere, you know, not all of us are, are willing to necessarily go there because... Don't know, how, don't, know how this, don't know how the bills are going to get paid. Don't know how this is going to come down. So you, you have to be in a position to need a miracle, but you also have to be willing to see a miracle. I mean, think about those guys in the boat with Jesus when he uh, calmed the storm. I promise you, maybe not among the disciples, but if you'd have been a general number of the population there would have been a, certain, a definite number of people who had been in that boat that one minute had been just tossing back and forth and looked like the thing was going to be tossed over and capsized and, and would have seen Jesus stand up and go, peace be still, and the water go, and there would have been a number of them go, wasn't that lucky? What a coincidence. At just the same time, he said, peace be still, uh, was when the storm stopped. Wow, that was, that'll never happen again in 100 years. <laughs> but then there were also people there who went, you must be, what, kind, what manner of man is this? Because they knew what they had seen. You have to be, you have to be willing to see a miracle. In our lives, uh, mine and Margaret's, a lot of things, there are in scripture, now miracles can happen at any time, but uh, they're not the sort of stuff that necessarily takes place every day, okay? They can, but not necessarily, especially the big ones. 
And in Scripture, there are, uh, there, are, there are vortexes, there are places where large numbers of miracles seem to happen. It, uh, in the, the ministry of Moses being one, the ministry of Elijah and Elisha being another, the ministry of Jesus being another, the ministry of the, the apostles being another. But that didn't mean miracles didn't happen any of these other times. They, they did, but those were, were special places in our lives, mine and Margaret's life, uh, our situation when we went to Zimbabwe was was one of those periods where a lot of things were happening and, and I'll just I'll just mention one miracle to you because uh, it was a little bit unusual in that it wasn't a one-time event it was a it was sort of a being fed by the ravens type of event when we were getting ready to go over there and some of you already know this but but many of you probably don't we were told that we needed $1,900 a month to live on wouldn't that be nice uh, and so this was 1985. We needed $1,900 a month to live on. And we had pledges of right a little over $1,300 a month when we left to go over there. The rule of thumb among missionaries is, and it's probably worse among independent missionaries, which we were than others, but the rule of thumb is you get half of your pledges. So do the math. Thirteen hundred is not as much as nineteen hundred, and half of thirteen hundred is not as much as thirteen hundred. <laughs> we were there for three years. We were there for right thirty-six months, I think. There was never a month that less than two thousand came in. That was a miracle. And you may go, ah, that, that wasn't a miracle. Those were just people who didn't pledge, but they gave anyway. Yeah, those were people who didn't pledge, but gave anyway. But talk to the other missionaries and see how that worked out for a lot of them. And so, you know, I could look at that and go, wow, that was, people just loved us. Wasn't that great? No, uh-uh, that was a miracle. God, God did a miracle continuously on our behalf. And, and he does, he's done a bunch of others. Gifts of healing. Let's look at that for a minute. Gifts of healing, a natural healing taking place in a supernatural fashion. Um, okay, a couple things about healing. First of all, all healing is from God. All healing is, is from God. Whether you go to the doctor or you don't go to the doctor. Healing is from God. You got a broken arm, you go to the doctor, he sets your arm. Okay, that's nice. I'm glad that he did that. He does not make the arm bone grow back together god does that every every healing that takes place uh the doctor can give you medicine to make the symptoms all better and everything the doctor's got no medicine to heal you only god can do that uh in this body that he gave us and created for us so all all healing is from god and i hear here are some things about uh i mean obviously there are copious examples of of, of miraculous healing in scripture so I'm not necessarily even going to reference them directly but uh, a couple things about healing that I think you need to know first of all not all not all healing is physical and when it says gifts of healing it, it's not just talking about when you got the flu or when you got cancer or when you got and, and sometimes physical symptoms are simply a manifestation of of something that's that's wrong emotionally or something that's that that's going on inside a person's life i mean a, a broken arm is one thing a broken heart is something else 
that also needs healing. And if you've got a broken heart, if you've got a broken relationship, if you've got a, a, a broken emotions, God can heal those too. That's just because you might go, well, that's not medically verifiable. I don't care. If your heart's broken one minute and God touches you and it's not the next, you feel better and you've been healed. Doesn't matter if anybody can see it or not. You know what it is on the inside. So I, I just want to encourage you that it's not just about physical stuff here that we're talking. Healing takes place in a great variety of ways. There, there are no formulas. We've, we've had a, uh, a rash of teaching in, in North American Christianity that if you come the right way and you say the right thing and you have the right amount of faith, then you will get it. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because that is witchcraft. That's what that is. If I get, if I get the incantation right, and I do this right, then what I want has to happen. Mm -mm. No. So there, there is no particular formula to this. <laughs> In the Scripture... One touches the hem of Jesus' garment and it's healed instantly. No words are said. No words have been passed. Just an action takes place and a healing, bam, is done. Over uh, in, in Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 38, 39 maybe, uh, King Hezekiah is ill and he, Isaiah goes to him with a word from God. And he says, get your affairs in order because you're going to die from this sickness. And Hezekiah cries out to God, and God sends Isaiah back and says, okay, tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years because of the way that he's called out to me. Now, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that God has to do that every time, but he did that in that case. And whether it was a good thing or not, that's totally up to God. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But Isaiah then comes back and says, God's going to give you 15 more years Prepare a poultice of figs and put it on the wound and you'll recover. Medicine? Yeah. Instantaneous? No. But it worked because that's what God said. And it, and it was a miraculous healing because he was going to die. Now, I don't know of many doctors today that will uh, prescribe a poultice of figs <laughs> because you can't... Uh, Trademark that, copyright that, and you can't get a patent on that, so you can't charge too much for it. But anyway, that, that's, that's medicine. So that, that's another way that miraculous healing took place in Scripture. Naaman went and washed seven times in the Jordan River, and Jesus sends the blind man in, in John chapter 9 to wash in the, in the, in the, in the pool of Siloam, and their obedience re responded in them being healed. Some do nothing. So, some didn't do, the man who was let down through the roof uh, he, didn't, he didn't do anything. He just laid on a stretcher while his friends took him up on the roof and tore the roof apart and let him down in front of Jesus. He didn't do anything. Some cry out. Blind Bartimaeus kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People came to him and said, hush, hush, hush. You're, you're, creating, a, you're creating a scene. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's, that's, that's how he got his healing. Some aren't even looking to be healed. When Peter and John went up to the, to the temple to worship and they, and they came upon the beggar at the gate, beautiful, uh, the guy was asking for money. And Peter goes, silver and gold, we don't, we don't have any of that. Oh, well, I guess. But look at me. Look at us. What we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He didn't go to the temple going, maybe I'll get healed today. He went thinking, maybe I'll get some money. So there's no formula. There's no, there's no exact way to put this. And, and let me tell you one other thing about healing. Some are not healed. Some are not healed. And that's okay. Like I say, you can't force God's hand on this. You got to let him be God. How many of you love to go to, uh, out to eat and there be a family sitting next to you where the three-year-old is ordering the mom and dad around? It's ugly. Not pretty at all. We don't like that. And guess what? We're in God's image. He didn't like that either. Yeah. Paul over in uh, 2 Corinthians, talked about the fact that he had a, a thorn in his flesh. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Now, if somebody comes to be prayed for, to be healed, and they get healed, God can get glory out of that. But I think what God is telling Paul here is that sometimes I can get glory out of the fact that you're going to be a cripple. But I'm going to do stuff through you that the world will marvel at. And they'll know, sure wasn't him. It was God. And Paul says, so I'll glory in that. I'll take that. He wrote to Timothy and he said, uh, I, left our, I left Erastus in Corinth and I, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. And you better believe that he prayed for him, but he wasn't healed, so they're not always healed. You may go, well, that's dangerous because you're, you're, you're putting doubt in people's mind. I'm not putting any doubt in people's mind. Don't give up. You don't give up. You ask. You, you, you come to God, you ask, but you, you, don't, you, you don't come in arrogance. You come in humility. When somebody comes to you and wants you to do something for them, if they come to you and, you know, you, you don't look at, you, you don't teach your kid to say, when, when they go, can I have a candy bar? What do you say? Give me a candy bar. That's my boy. Here you go. <laughs> no, uh-uh. So, can I have a candy bar? What do you say? Please. Okay. And it's the same with God. You don't come to, to order him around you. you. You come to ask him in our lives. Oh, and let, let me just say one other thing here. Uh, until Christ returns, there will come a time when every one of us will die. And I'm okay with that. When we were uh, on our way to Zimbabwe... Uh, <laughs> We were in Amsterdam for a, for a, for a full day and a, and a night before we were getting ready to fly out. And then it was a good thing because we had some stuff we needed to get 
that we could only get overseas. And uh, we needed to get it before we got to the country. And Isaac was sick. Uh, we've been in some marvelous cities in the world, some of the world-class cities with our kids. And, and, uh, and in every one of them but Singapore, somebody's been sick. And you've not gone to Honolulu till you've gone with a, with a sick eight-year-old. Uh, but anyway, we, uh, he was sick in Amsterdam. And so we hadn't been to Zimbabwe yet, and we were on our way over there. And we get to the airport. The flight is supposed to go out at midnight. We get there uh, about an hour and a half early, two hours early. And we, we come up to the gate to check in. And when they, they take one look at Isaac, and they go, wait a minute. We've got to have a doctor look at him. Because he's got these sick, weepy eyes, and it's just clear this boy doesn't feel good. And so they, they, bring, uh, they bring a doctor, the doctor examines him, and the doctor says he can't fly. Now, the pressurization in the cabin will burst his eardrums. He can't fly. <clears throat> so we're sitting there, kind of going, okay. And the doctor says, you really should put him in the hospital. So... Margaret is totally freaked out, needless to say, about staying in a, in a strange city where she doesn't know anybody. So we're, we're doing two things. We're making plans for Margaret and four-year-old Arwen to three-year-old Arwen to go ahead and immigrate to a, a country where they've never been, but at least a couple of people they know will be waiting on them when they get there. And it's the first time that it, Margaret had ever been out of the country. And I was making plans to, okay, where can I stay in Amsterdam while Isaac's in the hospital? And then we'll come and join them later. That was one of the things we were doing. The other thing we were doing was we were praying. We were praying. And, you know, and, and I don't see any inconstancy in that. I don't see any inconstancy in going, you know, God, this is really what I want you to do. But there may be, it may be, if you don't do this, then we'll have to do this, and, and you're gonna, you'll be in that too. You'll be in whatever goes down here because our lives are completely in your hands. And so we got to about 30 minutes before the plane was supposed to take off. Uh, we, were, we were getting ready to finally leave and do this, and so let's pray for him one more time. You know, and like I say, he's, he's, got, those, he's got those eyes. He's, he's down like this. He's, he's, he's got... Is burning up with fever. We pray for him one more time. And, and Isaac goes. And we went, could the doctor look at him again? Yeah. The doctor comes along and looks at him again and goes, hmm. I think he, I think he would be okay. We'll, we, we'll, we'll let him fly. Just uh, have his ears checked when, when you get there. And so he gets on the plane and... You know, a year later we go, oh, we were supposed to have his ears checked. <laughs> That's a healing. That's a healing. God does healing. Let me, let me very quickly uh, run on to this gift of faith, a supernatural impartation of faith for a specific task. This is the big one. Let me, let me just tell you, those other, two, those other two may sound pretty good, but as far as I'm concerned, this is, this is the big one. Now, there are, there are all kinds of faith. Over in Romans 12, 3, it says that God has given to each man the measure of faith. That's not what this is. This is not saving faith. This is not walking around through the day faith. This is a specific impartation of faith for something that... Otherwise, you'd look at it and go, no, not me. 
Let me give you, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, in Genesis chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him to me. Now, we think of Abraham as being this, this giant of faith and it's kind of like, well, yeah, Abraham, yeah. Listen, there is nothing in the first 21 chapters of Genesis that would give you any idea that this man was capable of doing this. Nothing whatsoever. And yet, God comes to him and says, this is what I want you to do. And early the next morning, Abraham gets up, gets his son, gets his servants, off they go. It says in Hebrews that for the, those next three days that Isaac was, was dead, as good as dead in his mind, because Abraham was thinking, you see, everything God had promised Abraham was wrapped up in this boy. But Abraham is thinking, you know what? God can raise the dead. But there was nothing in the first 21 chapters that would get, because when God came to him and said, you're going to have a boy, he and Sarah figured out how to do that with, you know, with, with Hagar and, and all that situation. So I'm, I'm telling you, it's nothing. But he, but he was able to do it. He was able to, to, to walk through and, and do this thing. You know the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter getting out and walking on the water with him. <laughs> There's nothing in the first up until this event that would give you the idea that Peter was capable of doing this. And to be very honest with you, Peter was not capable of doing this. The disciples saw Jesus come walking across the water, and I think Peter heard himself say, Lord, if it is you, ask me to come to you. And it probably went, which one of you guys... Which one of you guys said that? <laughs> it's you. And, then when Je- and, and what a thing to ask. I mean, you know, if it wasn't Jesus, then what was whatever it was going to say? No, I'm sorry, it's not me. <laughs> Ask me to come to you. Come. Oh, he says... And then, you know, Peter's out of that boat, and the next thing you know, he's, and I know he sank later on, but look, I mean, just getting out, just getting out and going it all, wow, that's a gift of faith. The, uh, <laughs> for us, the whole Zimbabwe situation was that kind of thing, actually coming to Smyrna was that kind of thing too, but... But the whole going to Zimbabwe thing was a gift of faith. What we discover is that when you're moving under a gift of faith, and the reason why I say it's the most powerful of all of these, is when you're moving under a gift of faith, it's like you're standing under a waterfall of grace. Everything that's going on around you is just stuff going on around you. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, that we had... Uh, you know, not as much pledged as we need. Uh, Isaac was sick in Amsterdam. In fact, uh, like two weeks after, after we got the okay to begin raising funds to go over there, which we only did for about four months, but, but about two weeks after, Arwen spent the next 10 days in the hospital with spinal meningitis. First five days, didn't know if she would live or die. Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff is going on. You, you, you want to know how much sleep we lost over all of that? Nada. Nada. 
You know, and looking back on it, I kind of go, ooh, that was, that's pretty. But at, at the time, going through it, it was just like, well, of course. Of course. See, you can't fake a gift of faith. I'm not talking about working something up and deciding, I'm going to do that thing. No, when the gift of faith comes, you just step out of the boat. You just step out of the boat, and, and away you go. When, when the gift of faith is operational in your life and something incredible is getting ready to happen to you and all the stuff that can be thrown at you, none of it sticks. No, none of it is able to, to slow you down at all. I doubt, I doubt that even Noah... How many of you are old enough to remember... Uh, Ray Tabor's not here. He's, he's the only one in church who, who knew Noah. Uh, he'll be here next week, and y'all be sure and tell him I said that, okay? No, Bill Crosby's your routine about Noah. You know, yeah, I mean, if you're old enough to remember Saturday morning cartoons, then you can remember that for sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, and it, it was funny because God asked Noah some, to do some weird stuff. You know, but I don't think for one second Noah was kind of going, really? Flood, three stories high, 450 feet long? <laughs> All the animals? You know? No, uh-uh. It was like, yeah, sure, of course. Let's do this thing. Because when you're operating under a gift of, of faith, it just, it just happens. It's just there. It's one of those wonderful things. Oftentimes, these gifts work in concert. All, all the gifts tend to work in concert. And I want to share a story with you that I, I was trying to remember how long ago it had been since I shared it, and I've heard everything from Isaac saying six months ago to Joe Grossman saying two and a half years to Arwen saying, I never heard that story in my life. <laughs> So it may have been six months ago, but it's so good, it's worth sharing again. Many of you have heard me talk about Kenneth Ware. And Kenneth Ware was a missionary to the, uh, to the gypsies in France, actually to all of France, but uh, he had a special ministry to the gypsies. And he came to our church, and I heard him share this story. A lot of miracles had happened. He, he was there all throughout World War II and everything. Uh, ultimately, he and his family had to to go into Switzerland uh, to escape the Nazi persecution, but, but they went through quite a bit as well. And a lot of miracles happened during that time. And when he came to our church, people kept kind of badgering him about, tell us about the miracles, tell us about the miracles. And I'll never forget him one night saying, okay, people have asked me about the miracles. I will tell you about the time that I was the miracle. This is, this is the time I will tell you about. He had been holding a, a, a meeting, a revival meeting, I guess, for a pastor, and it had apparently been going very well. And at the, uh, on the last night of it, the pastor had been trying to persuade him to, to take it out longer, to do it uh, another week or whatever. And Kenneth Ward just didn't, he did not feel like this is what God would have him do. So he said no. 
And, and I, I, I loved the way, you know, uh, nobody can say things with disdain the way the French can. And, and, and I love the way that he would say, preachers always want to have meetings. And they got to the, to the last night, and, and, the, and, the, and the, preacher, the pastor got up and said, everyone who wants Brother Ware to stay for another week, you know, say, say amen. You know, and everybody says amen. You know, okay, everyone who wants Brother Ware to stay for another week, stand up. And they all stood up, you know, cheered and everything. So he didn't stay, and he didn't know why, and he didn't know what he was supposed to do. Got a word of wisdom. He didn't know it was, but it was. And he went to visit uh, a pastor friend of his who lived in a remote area of the Alps. And he went to visit his pastor friend. A pastor friend says, you know, why are you here? He says, I don't know. I thought I should come and visit you. And he visited with him a couple of days. Nothing was happening. And then the pastor friend suggested that they go to visit a local cancer ward in a hospital that was there. In fact, it was a ward uh, for terminally ill ladies who had cancer. So they went to the ward, a lot of beds in, in, the, in the one big room, and Kenneth Ware would go to each one, and he would tell them a joke. He would share Jesus and say a prayer. And he had three jokes. So on the fourth bed, he would start all over again. <laughs> that was the way he would do it. And he came to this one lady, and she said, I know you. And he said, I, sorry, you, I don't believe that you do. And she said, yes, I do. You, you came to my village and shared Jesus. And he said, uh, where is your village? What is your village? She told him the name of it. He didn't recognize it. He said, I, I don't believe that, I, that I've been there. Now, as a young man, he had traveled through the Alps and gone to remote villages and shared Jesus. And she said, oh, yes, it was you. And she brought out a gospel of John and showed it to him. At which point he goes, I must have. Because what he would do is he'd go into these villages and he would, he would share Jesus. And those who would accept Jesus, he gave them a gospel of John. He taught them a, a chorus a praise chorus, and he moved on. She showed him the Gospel of John, and she sang the chorus. And he goes, well, this is, obviously, I, I, I was in your village, yes, yes. And uh, he said, well, uh, let me pray for you. Uh, God will heal you. Uh, Kenneth Ward had seen many people healed of cancer. He said, I'll pray for you. She said, oh, no, 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 I, that's not what I want. I, I'm ready to see Jesus. I, I want to go see Jesus. But I asked God, before I go to see Jesus, if one more time he would let me see that young man who came and shared Jesus with me. This was a lady who for over 20 years had one book of the Bible, knew one chorus, probably had never attended a, an organized worship service. But she knew Jesus. And as she lay there, getting ready to go see him, she, uh, she reached up and touched the hem of his garment. Said, I got one thing I'd like for you to do. 
God's an awesome God. Power, wisdom, faith, miracle, all at your disposal. One other thing about Kenneth Ware, and I know many of you have heard me share this, because Kenneth said, that was the second greatest gift God ever gave to me. He said, the greatest gift, the greatest miracle that God ever gave to me is Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray with people, come forward. Not all healing is physical. If you, if you need something from God, come. And it may be something that you prayed about a hundred times before. Okay? Make it 101. Because there's no formula. It's not that first time it's going to happen. If you, or second time it's going to happen. Maybe it's the 114th time. It happens. Come. Come. God, I know he wants to do some special things today. He wouldn't bring a sermon like this if he didn't want to do some stuff. So if you need some, and we're going to need some more people to pray with folks. Uh, but if you, if you need something, you come, and the rest of us will worship for a few moments. Yeah. Don, you and Patty come.
into the world to redeem, to restore, to make new, who sent his spirit into the world so that the life of Christ might be manifested in us. May you access everything God has for you. May you show forth his glory. May you show forth his beauty to a world that is starved for him. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.